Hello, my name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, the Byline Times podcast. This time as Ukrainians celebrate what's known as Greek Easter, that's Easter in the tradition of the Orthodox Church, Russia has been sending deadly gifts, missiles aimed at apartment blocks, which have killed at least eight civilians, including a three-month-old baby. The attacks took place on Holy Saturday, leading Andrei Yermak, President Zelensky's chief of staff, to observe that nothing is sacred. We'll be hearing shortly from Zarina Zabrisky, who has been in Odessa, and we'd love to hear from you as well. If you're listening live and you're on your phone, you can connect with us via Twitter Spaces. There is a little purple microphone in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. So once you've heard what Zarina has had to say and you think you've got something to contribute or a question to ask, just tap on the purple microphone in the bottom left-hand of your screen and I'll let you through and we'll be part of the conversation. That would be great. And just a reminder as well, before we get cracking, that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast owe no party political allegiance. We're not being told what to say by any corporate interest or any proprietor. We can tell it like it is without fear or favour, highlighting corruption and wrongdoing, because we are funded by ordinary readers of the Byline Times, which is our wonderful monthly newspaper edited by Hardeep Matharo. If you take out a subscription or better still a membership to the Byline Times, you're not only getting that great newspaper, you are helping to fund Byline Radio, the Byline Times podcast and our brilliant news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com, which is where you'll find details of how to subscribe. That's bylinetimes.com. Let's welcome then to the conversation Zarina Zabrisky, who has been writing about the Russian invasion of Ukraine for the Byline Times and other outlets as well. Zarina, welcome along. Can you tell us exactly where you are or roughly where you are at the moment? Yes. Uh, hi, hi, Adrian. Uh, good to talk to you again. And thank you, everybody, for joining. Um, I am actually in Odessa at this moment, uh, and I'm very happy that I am here um, to be able to tell the world about um, what is happening here. And it's simply horrible. I mentioned the attacks on the apartment blocks, Zarina, which have killed, amongst others, a three-month-old baby. It is difficult to comprehend the callousness of an attack like that. Well, I can tell you not all about it because I wasn't there at the moment, but I was there at this building today, and I was outside when the attack happened, um, so I actually took a little video that I shared on my Twitter so you could see what it feels like when um, the, the rocket, when the missile is heading your way. Um, and um, actually, where I was, I couldn't hear the sound, although some other people closer to the place of the explosion did. Where I was, you just hear the explosion, a very, very strong, like, boom. And um, uh, the closer you get to it, the more of a vibration of shaking you feel. Because a friend of mine was at home um, in the building about 500 meters away from this building. And she and her relatives were sitting on the couch, and the couch just jumped up 
like sort of like with the earthquake if somebody is from california from what i understand um so uh, like, let me tell you, I'm a storyteller, so I'll tell you. I was so, so I, I was writing articles all morning long. A few are coming out, and I decided to step out and go interview um, the zoo director because there's a lot happening at the Odessa Zoo, and it was a holiday, pre-holiday weekend, so they were having a lot of fun things for children and another option was to go to the uh what they call a delfinarium an aqua park with some fairly happily looking dolphins and they accept animals from the other part of ukraine that's why it's interesting for the war reporting uh so as soon as i stepped out the air raid started and then of course you know it's on your phone and you hear it and you think like should i go back because people here are pretty care less carefree you hear the air raid and people are just walking around and walking their dogs and the children are playing so i didn't turn around and then i i hear the boom and i see some people like older people are afraid hiding in the bakery and stuff like this but then then it can the life continues so I didn't go to the zoo, but I did go to the sea to see if the delphinarium was open for an interview. And that's when the news started to arrive. And first you see the five dead, then you see the eight dead, and then suddenly you see there is a three-month-old baby. Um, and it just hits you. And, um, of course... A lot of people were preparing for the holiday because I am personally not religious, but there's a lot of religious people here. And it's just a spring, beautiful holiday. People decorate a lot, like in every bakery there, uh, beautiful uh, b special breads, um, kulich, which are decorated uh, in a very pretty way. And there are also this um, kind of like cottage cheese with raisin sweet pyramids called Pascha. And uh, you people have eggs that they paint. So it's all very pretty and light, bright colors, which doesn't go along at all with shaking ground and explosions and um, children being killed. Uh, so you go home and you have a drink and you work on other articles. And I was debating whether to go there right away, but my friend sent me a video of the burning building and it wasn't the right thing to do because the rescuers were at work. You don't want to be in a way. But this morning I I um, jumped in a car and I went there. It's fairly close. And uh, I was there at the right moment because the mayor of Odessa has arrived with the uh, Lithuanian and uh, Polish parliament members. And um, I was there for that and I got to speak to the mayor uh, and listen to the rescuers and the uh, construction experts talking about uh, the, the situation with the structures because it's a very uh, big residential complex. It's not just some little house. It's 16 floors and um, it has several wings. It's like a little town actually with the inner yard. And you could see that the rocket 
hit it and just went right through it. Um, and there will be some pictures, I believe, tomorrow in the Byline Times, and some of them I'll just um, share later. And, and you see how this gigantic object hit the building and made a hole in it uh, the size of three floors. And you see how things are sticking out of it and hanging out of this hole. And it's surreal because, of course, you've seen it in the movies, you've seen it in the documentaries, but when you are there on site, the sensation is different. First, you, you're being hit by the scent of burnt, it, and it's so strong that it, it takes your breath away. And for a few minutes, you just can't even see anything else because the, the scent of the burnt everything is so so strong and that's uh, you know almost 10 hours after the fire was extinguished and then you also of course you're walking on the glass so you hear the sound of the screeching glass every step you take and there are these random objects lying around which which are odd and again surreal like for instance i found four big jars with a rose compote that somebody made for Easter. Or there was a like a little dumpster and in it you see like some shawls and um, some books and things that just a few hours ago belonged to somebody's apartment. Uh, so I got to speak apart from the mayor and the interviews forthcoming in the Byline Times tomorrow. But uh, I also got to speak to regular people who, who lived in this uh, building and were there at the time. So there was this young man who was taking a bath at the time. You know, the the job market is really down and people don't don't have regular jobs. So I guess he was decided to take a bath when when the air raid started and then the the rocket hit so he called his girlfriend in because that's a safe place to be and they were just two apartments away from the apartment that got completely destroyed and where um the young mother she was 28 year old beautiful beautiful young woman a journalist actually i did a little research on her uh, her three months old baby kira and uh, the, the mother, the mother of the young woman, uh, were there, and their cat, and the cat survived because the cat got stuck between the cushions of the couch. But the husband stepped out to get something at the store, just, you know, like a re random little trip to the store and then you come back and your whole family is gone and uh, it's such a it's such a story uh Zarina, and i heard uh, the father actually being interviewed on the bbc a little earlier on it's it's absolutely a heartbreaking situation and in the context of war and this particularly brutal and bloody invasion what you're describing is a, a horrific scene and i'd recommend people just go and have a look now at your twitter stream at zarina zabriskie and they'll get a sense of the devastation of this apartment block and i know you'll write more for bylinetimes.com tomorrow i just wonder how significant in this brutal picture the fact that it's holy saturday was i mean people would always feel 
anger and resentment at loss of life like this? Does the fact that it's happened at the holiest time of the year in the Orthodox calendar, does, does that add a layer of additional anger and resentment? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Every remark I heard uh, from people both faithful and not um, was about what what an Easter they gave us. Uh, you know, it's um, it's a holiday. It, you know, it's, uh, Easter in the Christian world is a well-known holiday, right? It's about the resurrection. And even if you're not a believer and or if you of another faith, the symbolic meaning you can't miss. You know, they, they killed the resurrection. And, and you know, I can tell you from, it's not the only place that they hit. And I did walk around and looked around, and I did not find any military objects or infrastructure there. So it's just a residential quarter. And after that, I went to a, a cemetery, and that was another place that they hit. And there is no explanation, no rhyme or reason. And some people, I'm not a military expert and certainly not an expert on missiles or their trajectories. Uh, so there are various theories and I'm not going to go into them. Uh, but the fact is a fact that you come to a cemetery to where people go uh, traditionally to pay tribute to their dads. Uh, on the Holy Saturday and on Easter. So it's decorated with this paper flowers and a lot of like karugli, I don't know what it's called, like um, some sort of uh, fabric with, with the churches painted on them. And, um, and you see that on the uh, graves, on the crosses, actually, on Orthodox crosses, only those crosses are laying down in the ground and they are broken. And and again, there's a uh, this very, very harsh sand, stench almost of the burnt. And you don't want to think at the cemetery what has burnt there. Because I literally looked inside the graves that were thrown off with the pieces of rocket. And I saw the pieces of rockets right there on the ground. And right next to it would really... Like that, I started to cry, honestly, uh, and I was able not to cry at, at the residence. You know, I was trying to be professional, trying my best. But at the cemetery, there were actually no one there. It was just me and a couple of um, people picking up the uh, fragments of the missiles. And there are uh, animal photographs that you put on the tombstone of um, older Russian, Russian people. Every sign is in Russian, not in Ukrainian, mind you. And those are these Soviet soldiers with the star, with a five-corner star on their military cap. This is called denazification. And this, this, this little animal portrait just flew off the cross and lying in the dirt, in a burnt dirt, denazified by by the Russians. This is beyond absurd and beyond maddening. And uh, I didn't make it to the monastery, but apparently they also hit an area very close to a monastery, uh, which I believe is an orphanage. So they, you know, they kill people, they kill children, they destroy the cemeteries with the dead, and they hit the, the sacral institution 
if this is not a genocide, I don't know what is. Mm. And the, the argument that it is a genocide is about Putin's apparent desire to erase Ukraine as a distinct nation, to erase the Ukrainian language as a distinct language and effectively to absorb Ukraine within Russia. So it doesn't mean the, the death of every Ukrainian, but it does mean the erasure of a Ukrainian identity. Exactly, exactly. And I can tell you from speaking to people, I have not spoken to one person. And believe me, I spoke to, that's all I do. I speak to people and interview them. I haven't met one person yet who did not identify as Ukrainian or who would say, oh, it doesn't matter, we are really Russians. They, they just, I, I don't know, if they are here, I, I have, you know, they're, they're certainly silent. <laughs> and this is Odessa, and Odessa is a Russophoned town, city. Uh, everyone here is, well, not everyone, but uh, you have to understand, like, with the, uh, with the language situation, everybody does speak Ukrainian. They're fluent, uh, but um, they traditionally, historically, uh, have been speaking Russian at home. And right now, actually, a lot of them are switching to Ukrainian, and sometimes it actually feels a little, uh, you know, they have to make an effort to do it because if you're used, to, you're bilingual and you are used to speaking the same language to your friend or to your parents, you have to make a, I know that myself because I'm bilingual, you have to make a little effort there. It might not come exactly natural, but I, I really get it because I was born Russian, a Russian speaker, and I prefer not to speak it. Um, it really does something to your mind. I mean, and this is what they do to, a, and uh, one thing I want to add here and then back to you, Adrian, is that somebody during the interview told me that the Russians are the worst on the Russian speaking cities because they are erasing from the face of first Mariupol, Russian speaking, Kharkov, Russian speaking. They were heading to Kiev, which is a mix. And now they hit Odessa, Russian speaking. It's just. I mean, is there, uh, that's a really interesting observation, Zarina. Is there any strategic advantage to that, any strategic purpose to that that you can divine? I, I you know, I, I listen to, you know, for, for, to break from things I do, I listen to experts and to different, you know, podcasts and stuff. And um, sometimes when I hear... Uh, especially American or British or Western experts trying to figure out what is the logic behind, what's the rationale behind the Russian actions, I realized that we we try to project our way of thinking, our mentality on something that doesn't have it. I mean, we're dealing with... Um, I wouldn't diagnose it, but with some sort of madness, some sort of mental condition that that logic cannot be applied to. When we spoke a few days ago, Zarina, and I know that you weren't being overconfident in this regard, but it seemed as though the attack on Odessa 
had diminished and if anything russia was scaling down its operations in odessa but this now seems to be an attack with renewed vigor a form of terrorism against the civilian population and i discussed briefly with you the fact that if odessa should fall to russia there is the fear that eventually there will be an ability for russia to join up with the russian speaking part of neighboring moldova an area called transnistria and this must be the fear that eventually odessa may fall and this will help to form part of this russian speaking corridor that presumably putin wants to control yeah i know that they just came up with it officially there was a bit random because the general that expressed this uh, intention is not widely known. It's not exactly clear who he is, and the Kremlin refused to um, comment on that. And uh, I shared that on Twitter, somebody else's opinion, because it was beautifully expressed, that this might be the diversion, uh, the tactic of disinformation, because they are really right now um, focusing their effort, military speaking, on Donbass. Everything is in the east. Uh, and because we in the West have a habit of just echoing or parroting um, everything that they say, just because our that's the way our media works, like the president said such and such, mm. and then the newspapers are going to echo that, and the headlines will read, President Putin um, has declared, blah, blah, you know, like not to storm Mariupol. And of course, it's the furthest, away from the truth because they 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 don't stop the, there are no ceasefire the action continues there so they do that a lot and my sense was that um they they just came up with it because it's one of the options and they they don't know themselves what they are doing and the the what what this general i forgot his name ruslan something said doesn't make any sense either because he said that in transnistria and prenistrovia the russian speakers are being suppressed which is absurd because they're russian peace keepers there this is the most pro-russian and i would say even pro-soviet area and i just went to moldova and spoke to people who live in Moldova and some journalists there, and they all confirmed that this is the most pro-Russian area. They only speak Russian, and there's absolutely no abuse of Russian speakers in that area. So that, that that's just another bluff. Mm. The latest big political development, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, is that there may be a visit from two top U.S. officials to Kyiv. There's a suggestion that the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony yeah. Blinken, and the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, might visit Kyiv. I don't know if that's, uh, if that's actually happened yet. This was supposed to be happening today. So has that happened? Do we know any more? And uh, Zelensky announced it, but the United States was a, a degree more cautious about confirming that this visit was happening. You know, uh, to be honest with you, I, I, of course, heard about it and I was mm. looking for it. Uh, but uh, the, the, today I was 
running around between the you know the explosion site and the cemetery and yeah. half of the day spent like um actually before i wasn't but today i was hiding during the air raid and writing this article so i haven't seen uh, the update on that yet it didn't let me put it this way it didn't show up in my uh, channels and it's also possible i know that the americans didn't want to advertise it for obvious reasons so we might just hear about it as an aftermath i'm not sure yes yes well uh, i mean Clearly, Zelensky is keen to play it up because uh, I suppose it underlines how seriously the world's or the West's greatest superpower is regarding this conflict. Uh, The United States is keen to play it down at least, I presume, until they've got in and got out again uh, because he doesn't want to draw attention to the fact that they might be in Kiev because that could potentially make them targets. Um, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, has talked about sending tanks to Poland, which would then allow Poland to send its tanks to Ukraine. And I I presume this is based on the idea that as a NATO country, the UK doesn't want to be seen to be supplying aggressive military hardware directly to Ukraine. (laughs) But, you know, they're kind of bending over backwards to uh, avoid provoking Russia, but it's clear that the West supports Ukraine, is supporting Ukraine militarily. Really, what's the difference? How is that seen in Ukraine? I I don't know, Adrian. A lot of things, you know, in this politics do not make sense to us. And um, at this point, I I agree with you completely. I, I don't see the point. I didn't look um, into details, there might be one factor, but it might be just my fantasy. I know that some of the weapons and some of the equipment that is being sent from the Eastern European countries in exchange are of the old Soviet uh, built. Mm-hmm. And that means that the Ukrainians know how to operate them because the the most modern ones they might not be familiar with and it might just take too long for them to train them. Uh, okay, yeah, that might make sense because, I mean, the UK has provided anti-tank weapons, portable anti-tank missile launchers, lightweight air defence system missiles. So it, it's not as though the UK hasn't already provided some hardware. And I, I wasn't sure if it was a distinction between hardware that is determined to be defensive in nature or aggressive in nature but as you say, it may just be simply because this is the technology that the technology they might get from Poland that they would know how to use. It's just it's just a guess. I will have to look yeah. into it because I heard it about some some weapons. But I can tell you about the weapons. I believe we talked about it last time, but it just keeps coming. Who? Whenever I speak to anyone, it could be well a child or uh, or an old babushka or anyone, and you ask them, "What do you need? What do you need? How can we help you as the world?" I like to ask this question so I know what to tell everyone, you know, so we as the international community can help. And the first word of that tongue at this point, I almost laugh because I know what they're going to say. They all say weapons. 
Nobody says like later they might think about there's medicine that they need and um, there is certain humanitarian aid. And if anybody is interested, by the way, I met enough refugees and went to enough uh, humanitarian aid centers that all need help because I know that we as uh, common as you know common people can get heavy duty weapons, but we can help you know, um, donating to the to the charity. But they all say that. And today I asked the mayor of Odessa, uh, and he said the same thing. Sure enough, we need weapons. But he also said another thing. He said, first weapons, and then he said, look at me into the eyes. And he has this really powerful stare, I can tell you that. And he was, like, you could tell that he was grief-stricken. They, the I took some pictures. I'm not a very good photographer, but you could see the grief in this person's eyes. And he says, I want you to tell the truth to the world. I want you to tell them that they're just killing us. You know, it was so powerful. Mm, mm. Absolutely. How did Boris Johnson's comments go down? You'll know the UK Prime Minister has been in India but he was asked about whether the war might continue until the end of 2023, the end of next year. And Johnson said the sad thing is that is a realistic possibility. He also raised the possibility, grim and tragic though that would be, that Russia might eventually win the war. He has been criticised for those comments, but... Do you have any sense of how that went down in Ukraine? Was it was it a, a an interview that was even picked up in Ukraine? I I don't believe so because uh, I can tell you I know that in the UK he might not be the most popular person in the world, but here in Ukraine Boris Johnson is a hero. They love Boris Johnson. I actually had a couple of interviews where people took special time to like very formally express please tell because i'm writing for the british newspaper please tell the um, citizens of the united kingdom that we express our special gratitude to mr boris johnson who has come to visit us and who has been helping all every step of the way they they really appreciate the help Absolutely. That's the impression I get, certainly, uh, admittedly, from thousands of miles away from every Ukrainian that I speak to. I spoke to Ina Sovson recently, an opposition right. MP, speaking regularly to uh, Denis Ganshun, who is uh, a, a Ukrainian member of the National Youth Council. But everybody in Ukraine is aware of and appreciative of the support from the UK in general and from Boris Johnson in particular, it has to be said. Um, one of the other conflict point at the moment, Serena, is the port of Mariupol. And this is such a tragic situation with soldiers and civilians trapped in a steelworks. No obvious safe passage for the residents of Mariupol and a, a really potentially tragic situation involving these soldiers. Yeah, it looks it looks really bad, and not just the soldiers, but the civilians as well, who are there. Unfortunately, I don't have much to say about that other than what you already know. I I, I follow my channels; they say pretty much 
you know, the same. They are holding up. It's significant because the Russians have to throw their resources there, which they probably otherwise would be using, you know, elsewhere. Uh, but at this point there, are, I mean, I heard several guesses, including even the wild theory that Putin will decide to nuke the site. But I think it's an extreme. It doesn't. But yeah, it's. I mean, in case people I, don't know, in case people don't know, Zarina, it's, it's just it, it, although there are soldiers besieged there, there are civilians hiding in tunnels beneath this steel plant and some of them say they've been there for 50 days obviously running out of provisions if they haven't run out already so you've got what the russians regard as a military target with soldiers present on that site defending the site but also civilians as well and you have to say based on the performance of russia in this war so far you're really hoping against hope that the civilians and the Ukrainian soldiers can can survive unscathed because Russia has shown a willingness to be utterly brutal and utterly destructive in this conflict so far. That is true. And today I've seen it with my own eyes. Not that I didn't believe it. I mean, I believed it 100% to 100%, but I can, can confirm to you like with there's evidence. I mean, I've seen the evidence of it too with my own eyes. And um, I did hear, um, I think it was today, this morning, or maybe it was yesterday, sometimes, you know, like um, when you're in the war zone, some. Oh, hello, Zarina. We've lost you just there for a moment. Hello, Zarina. Are you there? We'll try and get Zarina back in just a moment. Just a reminder, by the way, that I'm Adrian Goldberg and you are listening to Byline Radio, brought to you by the Byline Times. If you believe in free uh, and fearless... Oh, Zarina, sorry, we lost you just there for a moment. Uh, I'm just reminding listeners that you're listening to Byline Radio, brought to you from the Byline Times. If you believe in free and fearless independent journalism, then please consider taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. You get a brilliant monthly newspaper called The Byline Times, edited by Hardeep Matharu, but you're also helping to support Byline TV, Byline Radio, The Byline Times podcast, and our wonderful news-breaking website, thebylinetimes.com. And that's where you'll find details of how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. Sorry, Zarina, uh, we lost you for a moment there. Do you, do you want to pick up? Uh, yes, and we can add that next week there will be the Byline Festival where uh, we all will be speaking about, you know, various subjects, not just Ukraine and Russia. And I will be there too. I'm um, uh, Unfortunately, I don't feel like leaving at all. I probably will be coming back, but I will come to London for this conference and I will be speaking to people and answering questions about what I've seen and what the stories that I've heard. Uh, but what I was going to say before the break is that... Um, I've heard that the Ukrainian helicopters managed to fly over the tunnels, over Azovstal, the, the plant, uh, and drop off weapons and some humanitarian aid. And the fighters only asked for the weapons as it goes. 
they did not ask for the uh, for the water and food, but that was delivered to them as well. Um, so that's what I heard. Yes, and uh, there are concerns about you know ongoing the ongoing threat to uh, that particular steelworks uh, just to follow up by the way on what you said zarina i should say if you're listening live on byline radio and you want to join in the conversation if you want to ask zarina a question about what she's seeing on the ground in odessa if you want to make a comment then there is a little purple microphone in the bottom left hand corner of your screen just tap that to request access and if you have got something to say or a question to ask, I will let you on. So feel free to uh, request access to the microphone if you're listening live on Byline Radio. The little purple microphone in the bottom left hand of your screen. If you're listening on your phone, just tap that to request access and we'll let you on. But just to pick up the point that Zarina was making about the Byline Festival, that's next weekend as we speak. So that's running between the 29th of April and the... 1st of May at Portobello Road, the Ackland Village Market in North Kensington. And it's billed as a mix of inquisitive journalism, free speech, comedy, music and all-round entertainment. Got a fantastic guest list, by the way. The likes of Rio Ferdinand, Joanna Scanlon, Sanjeev Buskar, Jonathan Pye, Asif Kapadia, the filmmaker, Don Letts, the great punk rock DJ, Carol Cadwallader, Bonnie Greer... Ian Lucas, Otto English, Musa Akwanga, Anthony Barnick, Dawn Butler MP, Peter Tatchell and the Citizens of the World Refugee Choir. It's going to be a brilliant, brilliant weekend and I'm going to be broadcasting there for Byline Radio on the Saturday. So do check it out. Go to bylinefestival.com. That's bylinefestival.com. Phil has joined us. Hello, Phil. Welcome to Byline Radio. Welcome, my friend. Uh, hello, and I wanted to ask a question. First of all, thank you, Serena, for that incredibly heartbreaking report from Odessa, and uh, I'm sure it's put you at considerable risk actually just going there, so thank you for doing that. And in just asking this question, I hope this doesn't take this at too much of a tangent, but it has just come up in saying that in the exit polls in France that Macron probably will be re-elected, which I think we're all breathing a sigh of relief about that, that we've not got the pen. Uh, will that mean anything for the NATO alliance in terms of supporting Ukraine and particularly in terms of what it perhaps might have meant if Le Pen had won instead? Well, certainly, certainly. And I also was, uh, I have the Telegram messages coming up and I tend not to read them when I speak, but I did see that uh, she has recognized her defeat and, like you said, side with relief is exactly the, the right way. I think we all feel, and um, especially for Ukraine as well, because it, it's not a secret to anyone that Le Pen was uh, siding up with Putin, this this whole $9 million or euros um, uh, story from a few years ago. And, Again, uh, Zarina, Zarina, sorry just to interject there. In case people don't know, uh, the party that Marine Le Pen represents, now called, I think, Rassemble, National, previously the Front National, the National Front, received a nine million euro loan from a Russian bank, which has now gone into some form of administration or liquidation. It certainly doesn't function as a bank anymore. And her argument was that, well, no bank in France would lend us this money, so we we needed to look elsewhere for it. But, of course, she had shown significant warmth, I think it's fair to say, towards Vladimir Putin. 
and many observers would say there is no way that a, a loan of that size to an overseas political party would have been sanctioned without some kind of authority or at least a nod and a wink from Putin. So there were severe question marks over the attitude that Le Pen would take towards the NATO alliance had she been elected. And in fairness, over the years, and I did a fantastic podcast, people should go back two or three podcasts and listen to my interview with Philippe Auclair, who is a UK-based French sports and political commentator. But he said, really, a leopard doesn't change its spots. She was taking a much more conciliatory tone towards NATO and towards the European Union as well. But in reality, the feeling was that had she become French president, then that element of NATO, the French element of NATO, as it were, and bear in mind this is a nuclear power, would have been under some considerable pressure. So, I mean, I think there is certainly a feeling, Phil, that this is good news for Ukraine in that nothing will change on the face of it as a result of this election. Yes, I, I, that's a great commentary. That, that's exactly what I was going to answer to, yeah. Sorry to steal your thunder, then, Serena. That's me all oh. over that. <laughs> oh, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, I really appreciate it because I'm also a bit tired. I mean, what, what one can add here, just there is a trend, a tendency, right, that the Kremlin um, consistently applies to its um, international policy, to its strategy, and it has inherited it from the Soviet Union, from the KGB times from the KGB playbook, and that uh, is to support the radical right and the radical left. And uh, by, by doing this to sow the discord and to split the society. So whenever you see the very, very radical right or very, very radical left, you, you scratch it for five seconds as an investigative journalist and the Russian roots or some Russian banks or like in that case, some Czech bank uh, in, in Czech Republic with the Russian roots will come up. It's, it's, it's guaranteed. So, of course, anything of this sort for, for obvious reason would be horrible for, for the whole democratic community, I think. Mm. National, yeah. Phil, anything else to add before we let you go? Uh, not really, other than vive la France and slava Ukraini. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, listen, Zarina, it's been great uh, getting your latest update. And uh, obviously, you've got a lot of work to do, including writing some fantastic articles for the Byline Times. And you can read those at bylinetimes.com. I would also urge you to follow Zarina on Twitter at Zarina Zabriskie and she's also got a website as well. Is it ZarinaZabriskie.com? Is it as simple as that, Zarina? It is. I haven't been updating it very much lately. I, I would recommend people to go, if you are interested in this subject, to go to my Twitter where I do uh, try to do daily updates on the situation. And yesterday was the first day when I couldn't do it. After this baby was gone, I just I just couldn't do it. First time in 57. 7, 58 days. And also on my medium, which is also Zarina Zabriskie, I uh, um, 
past, there are some stories that are either too long or too many pictures for the Byline Times or other editions. So you can find the eyewitness stories there. And the, the last story that I um, have shared is a story of a girl, of a young woman from Mariupol. And it just also, it just broke my heart. She was so beautiful inside out. And that story, if, if you want to read anything I've written lately, read the Mariupol story. It's it's just something else. Yeah. But well, there, there, there are the stories too as well. So each and every story, right now I'm working on the story of, of three men from Kherson, and there was this family, a brother and a sister from Volnavaha, uh, and Chernobyl, and people from Kiev. I mean, I, I want to write all of these people's stories so people could see what is happening to, to them, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, if you do want to check that out, go to zarinazabriskie.medium.com that's zarinazabriskie.medium.com but of course as this is byline radio most of all we'd urge yes. you to read her at bylinetimes.com and uh, i'm really grateful to you zarina for not only as phil says sort of putting yourself on the line by going there but for speaking so passionately and eloquently and bearing testament to these lives. Really, really great to have you on, and we'll try and get you on as much as we can over the coming weeks now that we've mastered the technology. It's always great to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Great Thank to you so Thanks. much, Adrian. It's great to hear your voice, and it's great to hear from you and your commentaries help and uh, thank you everyone who took time to listen and to be here and uh, follow and most of all following this this tragedy and it means a lot to people in Ukraine I tell everyone that they got the support and they really appreciate it so on behalf of the Ukrainian people huge thanks to everyone who took time to listen and who cares Serena, thank you so much indeed. Just before we go, a reminder of that festival coming up next weekend, the Byline Festival 2022 at Ackland Village Market on Portobello Road in Kensington. A mix of inquisitive journalism, free speech, comedy, music and all-round entertainment. Uh, you can get your tickets for that at bylinefestival.com. If you can't get down to bustling and fashionable West London next weekend. Fear not, because you can also buy virtual tickets via Byline TV. And uh, that's well worth it. And just to remind you as well, to please support Byline Times and Byline Radio by taking out a subscription to Byline Times. Go to bylinetimes.com for more details. Thanks very much indeed for listening. We'll see you again soon. Uh, stay tuned to at Byline Radio for our next Twitter spaces. See you soon. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.